The Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the pioneering and innovative footwear brand from Portland, Oregon, founded by industry veteran shoe dogs, Dave Dombrow and Kevin Fallon. Speedland's mission is to create the best equipment for trail runners, period. Premium products, the best materials, small quantities, no cutting corners, and a deep commitment to our sport, trail running, the best sport in the world. A couple products to highlight, the GS Tam, my signature shoe. We still have availability up to size 10, but we've officially blown through inventory in all of the larger sizes and they're never coming back. So if you want one of the remaining pairs of the GS Tam, you better act fast. We're also still in pre-order for the GS PGH. It is still ongoing. The Cam Haynes Commission named after his home test piece. Mount Pisgah outside Eugene, Oregon. The GSPGH is like the GS TAM, but with a slightly softer and bouncier midsole compound that provides a super duper plush ride out on the trails. We anticipate fulfilling all pre-orders later in September. So jump on it now. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 to take advantage of a generous 10% discount. Runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10. Hey fam, welcome back to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here today with the amazing Sally McRae. The Yellow Runner is back for her second appearance on the show. And holy smokes, is this a good one? Sally, I'm sure we'll need no introduction to the vast majority of the audience. She's a longtime pro athlete for Nike. She's a coach. She's a mom. And now she's an author. Her new book is called Choose Strong, The Choice That Changes Everything, a super powerful memoir about her life that was released just back in May. We spent a ton of time talking about the book in this conversation, the themes of taking responsibility, of overcoming adversity, the influence of her mother and how losing her mother when she was young impacted her relationship with her own kids. We talk about the power of forgiveness and a lot more. As usual, Sally has a lot of beautiful things to say on those topics, and I felt this conversation was a solid companion piece to the book itself, which I'd encourage you to all pick up, particularly if you're going through a hard moment in your life. The second half of our conversation is dedicated to Sally's running and the enormous season that she is tackling. Coinciding with the release of her book in May, Sally took on the monster that is Cocodona 250. In July, she did the Tahoe 200. And right now, literally as I record this, Sally is putting the finishing touches on another finish at the Bigfoot 200, her second 200 miler in only three weeks, all before taking on the Moab 240 in October. It is the season of 200 mile quests for Team McRae. So we talk a bunch about what inspired this new project and what she has learned so far. Hope you guys all enjoy the conversation. Before we get to the show, you may have seen that last week we announced the second race event in the Free Trail portfolio. Most of you will know that the last two years we've teamed up with our good friends and partners Daybreak Racing to put on Gorge Waterfalls in Oregon. Well, we are very excited to present the Big Alta, a new 50K and 28K here on my home trails of Marin County, California. The 50K, which has 7,700 feet of climbing, will take place on Saturday, February 24th. 
followed by the 28K with 4,000 feet of climbing and descending on Sunday, February 25th. These are honestly, literally the trails that I train on every single day. They're spectacular, mostly smooth, but with just the right amount of grindiness to keep you honest. And somehow, even with the dearth of races available in Northern California. There has never been a race on the super underrated area of Marin, the best year round trail running destination in the world, in my biased opinion. This is a dream come true for me. Can't wait to share my home trails with our participants. Registration for the Big Alta is open now over on Ultra Sign Up, and there's a link here in the show notes. Hope to see you here in California next. February. As always, this show is only made possible with the generous support of our sponsors. In addition to Speedland, we're also proud to partner with Gnarly Nutrition, Roark Apparel, and HVMN. You'll hear from them later in the show, but please visit the show notes to take advantage of special offers for free trail listeners. Hugely appreciative to each of you for listening. Hope you enjoy the episode. Sally McRae, welcome back to the podcast. So great to see you. Dude, Dylan, this is so awesome being with this is like long overdue. And you and I have already been talking for 20 minutes. So um, all intros aside, I am just stoked I get to have a conversation with my friend. Like I'm also like such a huge fan of you. I'm like your friend and fan. Uh, And I'm the opening act for Taylor Swift tonight. Is it it's SoFi? Uh, yes. Yeah. Amazing. I'm literally wearing a dress and white cowboy boots. Like what? Like who am I? <laughs> is the whole family going? No. <laughs> is, it, is it just you or is it you and Mackenzie or? Me and, me and my best friend and our daughters. Oh, amazing. So, yeah. Oh, that's... It was like, you know, just, just trying to do all the things. Like you make the memories with your kids as best you can. And this is one of those things I'm like, Am I tired when I do I want to go to bed at eight tonight? Yes, I do. <laughs> but I'm going to Taylor Swift and it's gonna be freaking awesome. And I'm gonna make like some rad memories of my daughter. So I, I've heard that the show is absolutely spectacular, one of a kind. And Taylor yeah. Swift is, of course, the greatest entertainer musician yeah. of our generation. So I'm sure it'll be super fun. On the yeah. subject of kids, I'm sure you'll appreciate this. As I told you right before we started recording here, my son turns one on Monday and we were in Del Mar. Are you doing the big, you have to, he's not going to remember it, but like, this is a celebration you guys got through the first year. Oh yeah. We we actually already did like a smaller celebration with my in-laws last week. We had like a preemptive fun pretend birthday party. And for the first time ever, Sally, I signed his birthday card or signed anything, love, comma, dad. And I nearly burst into tears. It was like the most special thing. Sign a, sign a card, love, dad. It was just amazing. Anyway. I'm going to get really teary because I'm totally on the other side of you where I'm yeah. counting down the next 12 months because yeah. Mackenzie will move out of the house, out of the state and go to college and it will just never be the same. Like, it's so weird, but I get teary thinking about it. I'm like, okay, August, that's month one. Like, so all the things like, wow. making those memories. but 
Yeah. The day, the days are long, but the years are short with, with kids. And that's really precious. You need to save that card forever, by the way. Yes, I will. I, anyway, I that, that. that that's what makes it so important for you to stay up past your 8 p.m. bedtime tonight to enjoy Swifties with uh, Mackenzie. <laughs> yes. Anyway, Sally, I'm sure everybody's going to want to hear your contributions to my new opening question. Of course, you've been on the show before, but not since I've introduced this question. So I'm sure people would, would love to hear you answer oh. the trademark. What makes you, you? What are the, your unique strengths and weaknesses if you have to evaluate yourself and how do they show up in your life? Yeah, it's a great question. Like when you sent that over to me yesterday, I'm like, that's so loaded and I could answer it in so many different ways. But hey, it's a powerful question because it's something that we have to remember. Um in I think in especially in tough times, right? Like, who are you? Totally. So mm-hmm. um I always just like to start off with just that I am loved. And I think that's probably one of the most powerful things that I I constantly go back to. Um, when, when I'm in a tough race, um, when life is just heavy or things are overwhelming, I have to remember, like, despite all of this, like I'm loved. And, um, so that's like number one, um, number two is, you know, I, I think if I had to like pinpoint a couple of th- key things that maybe other people, uh, very close to me have reminded me of over and over again is, um, I am strong, um, I have a laugh that can be here heard beyond the walls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um I'm a very, very proud mother. Yeah. And um yeah, I'm I'm a curious adventurer. I think curious about life and just all and all that I do. And um and I think lastly is I'm a student. So I'm a student of life and, and curious about the adventure ahead. And I'm always looking to grow. I'm always looking to, to, to be better. And, um, yeah, those I'm are, sure yeah. I me. Mean, you asked another, I think there's another part of that question. Did I? No, no, that's it. I mean, I think just, yeah. a, it's a good way to sort of, you know, reintroduce you to the free trail audience. I'm sure you don't need an introduction, but I'm sure most people who listen to this are deeply familiar with who you are and your story. And, you know, as a longtime, you know, friend and follower of yours too, you have such a unique gift of like inspiring others. And I wondered if maybe that's always been part of your story. Like, because everything you do feels like motivated by like the desire to have an impact on others. And I'm sure you hear from complete strangers every single day about how you've touched them. Has that always been an innate quality of yours? I think, um, short answer is yes. From the time I was little, I, I can look back like as, as I was older and realize, wow, like when I was little, I was really curious about people. I remember very distinctly having conversations with my mom, um, about people who live like in, in home care facilities, like elderly that are, you know, dropped off at these facilities and sometimes forgotten. Um, I was so fascinated with that. I fascinated that people could be like without family or other people caring for them. And around that time too, was when that movie Annie came out. Do you remember like the one with like the yep. red hair, curly hair, Annie? Yep. Um, and I was very curious and, and just 
really shocked that kids um, lived in these buildings or these orphanages. And now grant you that's Hollywood, like the way it was portrayed, but like, um, my mom, I remember asking my mom about that and her explaining like, yeah, there's, there's orphans all over the world. There's children that have been orphaned because of, of war and sadness and parents dying or being rejected or, you know, and so that planted a seed from the time I was a little girl that, that people can be forgotten and overlooked and just that impact that it causes on, on their lives. And I think as I um, started to grow into a young woman and, and experience some really significant hardships in my life. Um, I knew at times that feeling of, of feeling like I wasn't worth something that I was, I was forgotten. And I think that started to develop this desire in me to want to make sure that anyone I, I met or at any chance I got that, that, that they wouldn't feel that way too. You know, it was such a hard, dismal feeling. And, and I think toward, if you, if you read the book towards the end of the book, it's, you know, at times questioning life itself. Like I, I can't handle this anymore. And like my life is just one of those lives that doesn't matter. And I think that, um, I have just, yeah, I think after going through so much, I'm kind of on this mission. I have such a great passion just to simply remind people that they matter and that they're strong and their life is valued and, and they are loved and there is a purpose every single day, whether you can, you can see it or not. So. And what a beautiful, <laughs> what a beautiful personal mission that is. And you're so effective in the way that you communicate that stuff. And I'm sure there are thousands of people out there who are better off because of the way that you've made them feel seen and feel important. You mentioned your book, and I want to talk about it for a while here. It's called Choose Strong, and I want to start there because, first of all, I just like love the brand. I love how it so represents, you know, what you advocate for, both physically and mentally. Obviously, everybody knows you spend a lot of time in the gym, and therefore you choose to be physically strong, but you also choose to be mentally and emotionally strong, too, through all the amazing achievements that you've had. How did you come up with Choose Strong? The, this idea that every day we, we have a choice. And um, I think I've had a lot of moments in, in my life where I didn't make good decisions. You know, um, I've been in, in, inspired by a lot of different things that I've read and, and, and people. And I've always... I've, I've always wanted to find, okay, what is the common thread with, with everyone? Like what, are, what is the common thread of people that overcome? What is the common thread of people that, that succeed? And, um, and it always comes down to a series of choices. And, and sometimes it's, it's not even, I mean, some people have like these big stories and it's just like this explosion of a day where it's like their life was changed forever. Then mm -hmm. you hear stories of people that just started to make a series of choices and maybe they change them from what maybe a a bad habit was, or maybe it was a mindset. They just started, they just chose to stop believing something, or they chose to start believing something. And I know there's, you know, there's other phrases out there like choose joy, choose love, all of that. But I think that strength is something that is often jaded in, in society because we equate it so much with the way that somebody looks. 
And um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I I think about how powerful like our just the fact our sight is. You know, we we judge a lot of things. I mean, to to stand at the top of a summit and watch a sunset. I mean, it's freaking beautiful to see all those colors swirl around. Like, um, it's it's the things that we see and the way that we judge those things or the way we feel about them. I mean, that's pretty natural to all humans. So when you see somebody that's very strong coming at you in the grocery store and their biceps are poking out and, you know, got these big quads, like you're kind of drawn to them. Like, and even if it isn't like that, you want to be like them, but your first thought typically is like, that guy's strong, (laughs) you know, he could crush me in a fight or I bet, you know, and if you let your mind wander and you think about what this strong person can do, um, it all kind of goes back to this overcoming anything that's weak. And for me, I I realized as I started to connect with people, especially starting in my career, a lot of people commented on, on my body and, you know, sometimes it was in a positive way. Sometimes it wasn't, um, when my kids were little, they would always say, mommy, why, why do people always stop you in the store? Like, why do people always say stuff to you when you're in line for coffee? And, um, and it was always just a, Hey, you're fit, you work out, you know, what do you do? And, and it wasn't always like, I wasn't always offended by it. Like sometimes it's a great conversation starter. Yeah. And sometimes you're talking with other people that are really fit and love to train too. So in some ways I'm like, dude, it's pretty cool. I can connect with people just because of the way that my muscles poke out of my skin. You know, it's really interesting, but what I know to be true for me is that regardless of physical strength, the greatest strength is, you know, it's that mental fortitude. It's, it's also a choice, like, like you can choose it. And, and that's really the underlying um, root of, of this book, because the strongest person in this book is, is my mom. Yeah. I want to talk about her in a sec, but I I love the, the philosophy of that. It's a choice, you know, and mm-hmm. that you have the power to choose in all situations. You posted recently also something about how like taking responsibility for exactly where you are is yeah. sort of the first step to strength and freedom, more or less. Can you say yeah. more about that, about just taking responsibility? Yeah. I mean, I have had to take responsibility for, you know, a lot of my actions and words and in races and in training as a parent, you know my whole life, I feel like I'm always learning that lesson. And I think in our youth, it's, that's like the last thing we want to do, right? Like we will put blame on our siblings and our teachers and our coaches and, and everyone. But, um, there came a point in my life, like pretty, pretty quick, like even in my youth that I realized if I just kept on blaming everyone that I was going to continue to get really bitter and upset because it's always someone else's fault, you know? And, and even as, as if you are a genuine victim in a situation, um, it's easy just to focus on the, the wrong that was done and to never get past that. And so what I realized was if I take responsibility for my responses, regardless of the wrongdoing, regardless of the hurt or the tragedy or, um, or me actually choosing to make a really bad mistake, I have to take responsibility for how I respond um, in all situations. And it was like, it was literally just unlocking a whole new level of, of strength for me because, and that's how you begin to heal. That's how you grow. That's how you learn. That's how you start to k- take control, like better control of the thoughts in your mind and, and your future actions. And you also learn a little bit about your pride too, because taking responsibility is also saying, 
like, okay, I have to like humble myself to take responsibility in front of everyone. Yeah. I failed. I I made a bad decision. But um, after you do that over and over again, you realize that, wow, this is actually part of being a human. Like my path is never smooth. It's nothing is ever perfect. And if I keep pretending that I'm perfect and that all the choices that I make are, are amazing. I'm, I'm just, I'm going to be miserable and frustrated all the time. So I think that taking responsibility first and foremost is, is one of the greatest steps that we can take toward becoming a stronger, more overcoming individual, like in every area of our life. Love it. So overcoming, this is Mm -hmm. another kind of theme of your life and of the book. So maybe just without revealing too much, whatever you don't want to say about the book here publicly, of course, we want to encourage everybody to go out and grab a copy, but I'd love to hear, you know, anything you have to say about just the theme of overcoming in your life. Mm -hmm. I think overcoming is, um, it's, it's intertwined with, with hope. I mean, if you, and, and hope is a very strong sense of the word. I think sometimes we, we mix that up with the word dream, like fairy tale dream. Like one day I dreamed to live in a castle. It's, it's not the same thing. Like hope is a really powerful action word. It's so powerful that when your life is void of it, it has the power to make you really consider your life at all. Consider moving forward. I mean, someone that is completely hopeless is in a very, very dark place. So when you understand what it's like not having hope, you understand the power of it. And so um, I think hope in every sense of word is, is to hope with, you know, expectation. And that is very much a part of overcoming. And so whether like in the book, I do talk a lot about hope and there's a lot of different stories that I share where, um, you know, it was really easy for me to doubt that I could ever get out of that situation or overcome the pain that I was in because there was a lot of, um, you know, situations that I was in where I was overcome by fear, by um, physical pain and, and, and abuse. And, um, but hope was at the root of of all of that, really believing that one day it's going to get better, that somehow I'm, I'm going to get out of this. And, um, I think like strength, like our ability to overcome is really, it's, it's woven in to all of us. I think that all of us are, are built for like the very journey that we're on. I don't think we need to, to think that, that being able to overcome is for other people. It's like, you know, I, I open and I will share this about the book. I talk a lot, a lot about the word stand and you have to, um, you know, when you look at, I, I love studying definitions. I was actually a, a freshman English teacher for, for three years. So, um, my style of writing in this book was very, it was a very specific way. It was artistic. My goal was to get people to pick up the book and read the whole thing in one or two sittings. Like I did that on purpose. Wow. So, um, my idea when I open up the book with stand is I kind of take like that English teacher stance of like, when you study this word and you see all the different definitions, there's one that's so powerful. And, and that is to stand unaltered, fully valid. Mm -hmm. Like I love that that is the definition of stand, but we have to stand each and every day to begin. And when you are in the middle of a storm 
you have to stand in that storm in order to overcome it. And and it's the same thing in a race. Like you're not going to get anywhere sitting in an aid station. You got to stand up out of that chair and you got to keep going. And, um, and so I think that, you know, encouraging people in this idea of, man, if you just stand in who you are, right where you are, and you, you don't have to change a thing about yourself. You are equipped for the very journey that you're on. You're equipped for everything that happens in your life. And um, yeah, that's a, a big part of overcoming is believing that mentally because a lot of people don't. I think wow. we get into, into tough places in, in races in life and we just think we get either get like imposter syndrome or we start to think back about something really mean that somebody said or that a critic said, or maybe we ourselves are our own worst critics. But um, sometimes the greatest overcoming that we have to do is what's going on between, you know, our, our two years. It's so beautiful, Sally. I now want you to print a t-shirt that just says stand on it with choose strong or something on the back. And that is a immensely beautiful philosophy to live by. You mentioned your mother last year, you did the whole choose strong project, which I know was inspired by her memory. Your mother of course passed when you were a little girl. Can you just talk about what impact she had on you and how you arrived on this idea of honoring her through endurance last year? Yeah, the so last year's Choose Strong project was uh, it was inspired by the fact that I was entering um, into the same age that she was when she passed away, and our lives were wildly different at that point. When she passed away, when I was seventeen, um, and I think this is pretty normal, especially for for kids that lose a parent. It's it, you start to kind of like harbor fear and anxiety that, you know, cause your whole world is kind of seen through your family. Like you learn and you grow in accordance to what you're taught at home so often. And so for me, I thought, is this how my life is going to end? Am I going to leave five children behind? Am I, you know, am I going to get sick too? I mean, we didn't grow up with healthcare. And so a lot of that was, you know, both my parents suffered immensely in, in their, um, in their health. And so when, I had kids, it hit me all over again. I mean, a really hard time. Both my kids are pretty um, close in age, but so I had both of them in two years. And I just remember thinking, I really want to be here for their entire lives. And as my kids started to um, creep closer to, you know, elementary school and middle school, all the stories from my life in those years would poke at me at different times in, in their life. And I, I understood this like great urgency and this great passion that I had just to live my life fully with my kids and to teach them the things that I knew to be true and just to love them and, and remind them over and over that they were loved too. And so um, as, as 2022 came around, um, I really reflected on my mom's life and what the most powerful thing that I realized was that when my mom passed away, there's no social media um, she also had a, a more, a much more quiet introvert or introverted personality. She was pretty shy. She had a very small group of friends, but she loved to um, serve other people and she loved children. And um, I, I think the impact that she had on my life was so powerful. It actually set the course for, you know, for a lot of the decisions that I made in my teens, in my twenties and my thirties 
so much was because of, of the inspiration that I got from her and what I learned from her. And I realized that, you know, we, we think so often that our lives only matter if we have like, if we're a celebrity, we have a big following. If we do like something really great in our career or in a sport or as a musician, and it's like, it's just not true. Mm. If we understand that, you know, our life is full of purpose, but maybe like the one purpose that you are here on earth is to change one person's life because that one person might go on to touch millions of people. Mm. And essentially you are making waves by living out your own purpose and just being who you are. And so, you know, my mom never wanted, she hated attention. Like she didn't want, you know, any, any type of the, um, the limelight on her or anything like that, but she did love me and, and spoke so much, um, truth and encouragement to me over my life. And when I look at my social media accounts and things like that, it's like, I, I, I do reach millions of people mm-hmm. and I owe that to her. Yeah. And I realized that so much of what I do and so much of the love and the message that she had sent me, I mean, that's, I love being able to carry that on. And so the Choose Strong Project was to honor that and in in really the most real way that I could. And so I purposely chose these, you know, these five um, events well, was actually six. Cause the last one I ran to a grave from my childhood home, but yeah. um, that was kind of like a private one, but I chose those to be very hard races. I put them very close together because it was like the most true um, parallel to her life and, um, and the hardship that, that she faced. And I wanted to tell that story because I knew that um, it would reach a lot of hearts and I knew that, that people would be able, it would resonate with people. And um, to this day, I, I get messages from people say, you know, I'm doing my own choose strong project to honor this person or because I've overcome this, this and that. And um, yeah, it just, it's been amazing. That's awesome. So yeah, you're about the same age now that your mother was when she passed. So yeah. your kids are probably about the same age that you were when your mom passed. Is that yeah. something that you guys talk about together? Just the finite nature of life, the preciousness of life and how, you know, nothing can be taken for granted. I mean, I'm sure there's some deep conversations that go on between you and your two kids. Absolutely. We, and I have to say too, I mean, um, you know, my kids are growing up in Orange County, California and, um, and I did too, but I grew up on the, on the other side of town <laughs> and, um, and it, it's, it's crazy to me because, you know, sometimes I'll drive through the, na- the neighborhoods, like where I grew up and, um, and realize my kids' lives are, they're just so different and, and what they have and, and the opportunities that, that they have. Um, so I've, I've, since the time they were young, like I've told them a lot of my, of my childhood and, and just like my life story. So they're very aware of it. They're very aware of how much my mom, you know, means to me, but I look at Isaiah who's 15 and I look at Mackenzie who's 17 and, um, yeah, when their birthdays hit, it was March, um, of this year, it was a little emotional for me, like in a very private way. Like I wasn't like overwhelmed as there's, you know, blowing out the candles on the birthday cake or anything, sure. but I just remember reflecting on it on a run and thinking Isaiah is the age that I was when I found out my mom had cancer and Mackenzie's the age that I was when she died. 
And so, um, man, I'm just so grateful. You know, I'm so, so grateful that I get to be here healthy, running up mountains all over the world and, you know, being able to keep up with them side by side. And, um, our family's very close. And so, yeah, we do have a lot of those, of those conversations and just reminders of how precious, you know, life is. I mean, that's always my goal to, to make sure that they, they understand that, that life is precious and we give our best and we work hard and we remember others. And so, um, yeah, it's been a good year. I think we've done a lot as a family this year, probably like more than ever, just because of that, like kind of celebrating it. But, um, I'm really grateful that, that I'm, I have my health. Amazing. (laughs) Practical question for you here. I'd love to hear you just talk about the process of writing the book. Like, what surprised you as being maybe easier or harder than you expected. And I'd also love to hear you talk about the consideration that went into self-publishing rather than going the traditional route. Yeah. The process of writing a book, it all comes down to the genre that you choose. So if someone's like, Hey, could you write a book on like strength chain and running? It's like, yeah, I'd pump that thing out in two months. Like this took me <laughs> almost 20 years of writing it, putting it on the shelf for several years, dusting it off rewriting it. I mean, some of the chapters in the, in that book, I rewrote like over 20 times. And, um, when you write a memoir, you are, there's typically an intense moment in, in memoirs. There's a, a revealing, um, in, in that genre. And then there's like a, a grand, you know, turning point and, you know, you know, with memoirs, you're, you're hoping to tell a story, maybe one, to shed light on a situation or to encourage or inspire people that are maybe in in that same spot. So when I first started writing it, what I realized was um, it was, it was a lot longer when I, when I first started writing it, but mentally and emotionally, it was not like reading off the page in a very hopeful way. I mean, it was really um, and people tell me all the time, they read my book and they cry and it's just hard. some chapters are very difficult to read. Um, you know, especially the, the very young child, you know, that I was experiencing some really sad moments, but I think what I realized was I don't want to write a book that comes off as just this hardened, bitter person. I also don't want to write a book where people feel sorry for me. Um, I really press hard against that. and. Um, you know, last night I did a live event and the person who was hosting said, we, you know, I want to talk about poverty. And I was like, hold on. I don't even use the word poor in my book once. And I'm very, very adamant about that. And, um, and it, it, things like that mean words, the words that I chose, the stories that I chose, how I, I let the reader into them. I was very specific about that. And I really wanted to invite the English teacher in you. Oh yeah. Like 100%. Um, I, I think that the process was a little bit more difficult than, than I thought it would be, but I did have to go on a journey of also like making sure my heart wasn't, was in the right place, especially as I talk about, you know, my dad who I I don't have a really, a relationship with, but my goal was not to just like, like tear him apart. I wanted the reader to see there was two sides of this person, a very, very human side that was, was trying his best in a really rough situation. And then the other side that was dark and so scary, but I knew that it 
that it would reach a lot of people because a lot of people need to understand that even despite all of that, like there's healing and there's forgiveness and you can move on and you can let go and you can grow and like you can love again. And, and so there are times I'd, I'd like give it to Eddie to read and um, I'd say like, okay, when you read that, does, is it like bitter and, and angry is like, what, what are you feeling when you, mm. when you read that? Like, cause that, that isn't what I want. And, and so um, that took me a long time. And then there were years where I was very afraid of, of writing it and putting it out, you know, afraid of what people would think of what family would think of, um, you know, I went through moments of where I thought I'd be sued. And, mm. um, so I, I had to like craft and recraft and recraft and just like do a lot of research on, on like best practice of writing a memoir that is so intense, that is so revealing. And so, you know, you change names and dates and street names and, um, you know, not putting in like any of the names of my family members, except, you know, my mom and, um, yeah, that was, it was a lot. And then as I got towards the end, like in the final edits, we had two different professional people go through it that edited it for me. Um, then the book started to become very real. I, I did go through like some pretty intense emotional, um, battles and, my family was amazing through it and they all, you know, very much understood. But I think it was just this idea that here's something that's so precious to me. This is very much a part of like who I am and who I am today. And no matter what, doesn't matter how well it's written, how many times I edit it, there's going to be mistakes in it. And, and also there's going to be people that are going to criticize it, that don't like it, that shun it, you know, all this stuff. And I had to let go of that, you know, yeah. something that's, that's precious and you're releasing it into the world and you're releasing it for people to, to judge it and consume it in the way that they want to. Um, that, that took a lot of bravery. It took a lot of courage. And I, I had to recenter myself over and over again and realize that one of the things that I've always believed that is true in my life is that my life story and the journey that I am, it isn't just about me. And if I always think that everything that I do is about me, every accomplishment is about me, like I'm going to be miserable yeah. and I'm always going to be searching and I'm always going to feel empty and, and depressed. But if I realize that regardless of the brokenness that I experienced, regardless of the pain and even those great moments that I, that I had in my life, if they are meant to bring compassion and love and encouragement, um, and community among people around me and it, and hopefully maybe change even one person's life, that's what makes a life full. Like that is like an amazing way to live life is, is to look at other people around you and realize like, we're all in this together. Yeah. And so that's, uh, yeah, that journey of writing a memoir is very different than, you know, a half marathon training program. <laughs> 20 years in the making. Yeah. So yeah. sticking on this subject of like sharing the super personal and unpleasant stuff, like we don't need to address the specific examples here. More so I'm interested in hearing you talk about the process of sharing that stuff, deciding what you want to share and, you know, whether or not there was a feeling of healing or relief and getting some of that stuff off your chest? Yeah. So, um, choosing the stories, there's, there's definitely stories I had to take out, um, which I'm glad I, I did because a lot of the feedback, um, that I've got, I mean, 
I'd say the majority, almost all of the feedback that, that, that I've gotten, you can say, you know, 88%, 90% um, has been so positive and so kind and thoughtful and, and heartwarming. Um, but some of the stories that I omitted were that they were just so intense. Yeah. Um, it, it was, it's, it's a lot. And I wanted, I wanted youth to read it too. Um, that's another reason why I wrote, um, I'd like to say like, I, I don't know if simply is like the right word, but like, it's very, <laughs> it's very straightforward, um, how I write and it's, you know, it's not flowery. There's not like tons of adjectives and adverbs to describe like light cascading across the carpet. You know, it's just like, <laughs> I just I'm reading, like, I'm reading Anthony Bourdain's uh, oh. <laughs> memoir, uh, Kitchen Confidential right now. And oh my God, it's, he is just, a, he's so gifted, but every single description is just like yes. so, I don't know, just like. It's so verbose. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Anyway. And I can write that way. So I've kept journals since I was five. I have boxes and boxes and boxes of journals. And I love poetry too. Um, I have a lot of books that are that that I've written over the years that are like that. It's a very specific style. So I have a couple very specific styles in the way that I write. And so um I, you know, I had a goal and that's why I chose that style. But I think with the chapters that I had to omit. You have to ask yourself, what will the reader get out of this? What's the overall purpose? And then like, is this more damaging than, than effective? You mm -hmm. know, so I had to really pick and choose the intense chapters that I was going to put in there um, with a message that was attached or like a reasoning as to why they were there. Mm -hmm. And it, at one point, um, I realized as I was doing a, a read through on my book, I was man, dude, like you literally read eight chapters in a row and it's just like a punch in the gut, punch in the face over and over again of like for the reader, like they're just sure. like feeling it so deeply. And it's like, that's hard to read. Yeah. It's hard to continue moving forward in that. And so I then began to construct, you know, different ways to allow the reader like a reprieve. So there is a little, there are times where you're going to laugh and then there's like these poems and, and things like that. And a little bit more additional insight that helps you see me as like genuinely like a little kid telling you this story. Mm. And so, um, that's, that kind of helped me filter out some of the other stories. It's like, all right, I already have a story about this situation. I was in that situation several times. I don't need to tell every single one okay. like that, you know, we don't need that. Um, the other part of your question, as far as like the the mental, the emotional side of of sharing any type of memoir, any personal story, um, you know, I I have a, a very strong you know conviction and and faith, and you know, my goal always is um, I want to be growing in, in my personal life. I want to be the best that I can be, and have and 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 be aware of the times that, um, that if I feel bitterness, if I feel, um, you know, anger, frustration, like I, I want to tackle those feelings and ask why and make sure that at the root of that, that there's not unforgiveness there. I think that forgiveness is so powerful. I mean, it, it sets people free in ways that, um, that maybe they had never experienced. It's so before. true, isn't it? Like, it is. cause the, People who are the least happy, most bitter, and it really ossifies as we get older, 
are the people who are holding on to some anger that where they were legitimately wrong, where they're justified to be angry, but they haven't forgiven and therefore whatever was perpetrated against them or whatever negative experience they had still haunts them, right? And it's forgiveness that's the antidote to that, isn't it? 100%. And I think that especially in today's age, there's, you look on social media, like there's a lot of people on their platforms with their fists in the air that are angry. Yeah. And, you know, I've, um, I'm a communication studies major and I've, I've also had the privilege of working with people all over the world. Um, I've been able to go into orphanages and into prisons and to some really destitute areas. And, you know, I feel like I have this, like this, um, a very strong awareness to hurt, you know, whether, because I experienced it so much in my life, but man, you know, hurt so often comes out in anger you know, sometimes the defensiveness, these, um, people call themselves disruptors. It's like a lot of that is like deep hurt. It's, it's deep hurt and pain from something that happened and, and never feeling like that you can let go. And so there's revenge. There's someone needs to pay like, and, and someone needs to own up. And I was there, like, that was me. Mm. I had a lot of years where I was so angry and hateful and bitter. And it was very easy for me to even just be angry at the entire world and, and, and be triggered by certain things, you know, be triggered by happy families and people that had money and healthcare and, you know, girls that had loving dads and, and, you know, I, the list could go on and on and on. And I could very much be someone who would just be so hateful toward men. I mean, you read my book and it's like, yeah, I have every reason to be, but I did not want to be that person. What I realized, especially as I was writing my book is that we are all flawed. We all make bad decisions and we all have pain in our life. And this goes back to the beginning of our conversation that this idea of taking responsibility and grabbing hold of how we respond to pain, whether we are a victim of it or that we caused it ourselves, is so powerful and so freeing. If you want to understand the pathway to peace, start forgiving. Start forgiving even those that will never say they're sorry. Start forgiving people who, um, who are hard to forgive because you are then in control. You are, you, you like hold the answer. You hold the key to peace in that. And it's so much easier to forgive and to forgive and to forgive than to live a life that is just fully rooted in bitterness and hate. Cause that just never ends. There's no end in sight. And not only that, it's like, you're not really someone that people want to be around. Totally. I don't, I don't look up to people that use their platform to just oppress and yell at everyone around them. Like I get it. There's a lot of things that need to change in our world. And there's a lot of hurt that people have experienced. And I empathize with that, like in my core, but historically the most powerful way that you can change a whole people. Uh, I mean, you can change a life is love and forgiveness and that can't be argued. And I think of even like on a very lighter note, I mean, you think of like kids in high school in a rebellious age, right? Yeah. Kids that change most often, they, they change because their parents didn't stop loving them. They kept on showing up when they're like, Hey, can you pick me up? I'm drunk at a party down the street. Like, and the mom that rolls up and is there in a minute in love 
that is far more powerful than the the judgment and the cruelty and the over the top discipline. We don't change because of that. We change because we wake up one day and, and we say, I can't believe you loved me when I was at my worst. You know, we grow into adults one day and we look back and we're like, oh my gosh, mom and dad, I cannot believe what I put you through. And you loved me, like why? And it's like, well, that's what real love is. Like you don't expect anything in return. And I love you when you are at your worst. I love you when you're best. Like that is what sets people free. That is what changes lives. And I I wanted that for myself, especially as I became a parent, I realized if I don't like resolve this stuff, like, I, in my next book, people will see, but like I spent years trying to create some kind of relationship with my dad and I realized there was nothing I could do. I was like, he will never, ever, ever say, sorry, there'll never be remorse. He'll never love me. And so I need to just forgive him right where he is, love him for who he is, and then keep on walking. And that is, you know, that's hard for me to this day, but I think that's the ache and the beauty in life is like your life will never be perfect. Not all of your relationships are going to be smoothed out, but you do have the power to love and forgive someone, even if it's from afar and that's okay. So beautiful, Sally. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by HVMN and the Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketone IQ has become a huge phenomenon in endurance sport in recent years, allowing athletes of all levels to access new levels of performance. It was first adopted in cycling, especially among the professional ranks, but it's now finding its way into the running world, which is awesome and with great success. I recall seeing British ultra star Tom Evans smashing a ketone IQ as he jumped in the raft at the Lucky Chucky River Crossing on his way to victory, the 2023 Western States. Well, if it's good enough for Tom, it's good enough for me. Ketone IQ was invented by HVMN to help athletes of all levels reach their physical potential by boosting cognitive performance. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know that your brain is key to performing at your best as a runner from fatigue resistance to improved focus and mental clarity. Ketone IQ can give you deeper brain power when the miles and exhaustion start to add up. This is something you really have to experience to understand. So make sure you give Ketone IQ a try. You can save 30% off your first subscription order of Ketone IQ at hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. Again, visit HVMN forward slash free trail 30 and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. There is a link in the show notes of this episode as well. Thanks to HVMN. So let's use this time then to pivot from the book to Coca-Dona. And it seems very serendipitously, the book was actually released like the day that you got your bib at Coca-Dona. So it was probably a rather intense moment in your life. So it's sort of, sort of talking specifically about your running. I'd love to just have you say a few words about what made you feel like now was the time, like now was the right moment for you to sort of take this step up in distance. Of course, people will know that you've done bad water a few times, but stepping up to Coca-Dona is a whole different animal. You're very experienced in the sport, but I'm sure it's in- intimidating. What made you feel like now was the right moment? Yeah. I mean, you and I, I, our careers kind of start at the same time. I feel like, like we met at the beginning of our careers. Mm -hmm. Um, and before this podcast started, I, I I had said to you, I go, ah, man, I just love the opportunity when I can talk with people whose like our lives are, are pretty similar. Like we, we get each other. It's like, 
it's chaos right now. It's like, yeah, I know. I need to be running right now. It's like, we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But like, how cool is it that we, like this career that, that we're in this sport, Dylan, is like, there's like so many different things that we can do. You know, like if you and I were just road marathon specialists, it's like, so which one are you going to do this year? It's like, which of the majors are you doing this year? Um, and so that you, respect, you often use the hashtag better than Boston for exactly this reason. It's like, <laughs> come on. There's so Boston. many distances and routes. I mean, it's like, it's endless, right? Like, don't you feel that way? I mean, totally. Yeah. There's so many different things that you can with, do with the exception of UTMB. Like I freaking, I want to live there. Like, and you run, where else do you run through three countries in one race? The I only know. reason why I keep going back is because I'm obsessed with those trails. And then of course it's the biggest party of the year. So it's like, that's, it's not that I keep on wanting to do that race. I just like want to be there. So, um, and I'm going to see you there in a couple of weeks. It's yeah, so wait, we're going to do stuff together there. We'll I teach know, you I that. Know. Anyway, talk about this 200 so, mile evolution. Yeah. So the 200 was kind of like, it was the same thing. It was like, when I first heard about it, I was like, heck no, I'm not doing that. Like that's, it's, it's so different from a hundred and I, I feel like we really do have to respect it. It's just a different event. Like you can't go to hundred meter sprinter and say like, you know what it feels like to be in a marathon. It's like, no, it's completely different. Like the training's different. What's going on is so different. And I feel like I, I didn't want that mindset of like, oh, I'm just going to run two hundreds back to back. Like, that's not what you're doing. It's like 98% all mental mm. and, and your ability to overcome so many different things and keep track of so many different variables. And it, for the same reason that pulled me into this sport is the reason why I did two hundreds. I was just curious. Like I realized one of my biggest dreams was winning bad water. Um, that took me a long time to do it. And, and I did it. And I feel like there's been a lot of things in my career that I've wanted to do. It's like two times, two times top 10 at Western States. Awesome. You know, I've, I've won races all over the world. Like, I feel like that I have, I have been gifted with this like incredible journey to see the world, to meet people, to experience so many different summits and, like, why stop here? Like, let's go try something new now. And like, let's see what we're capable of doing. And the 200s scared me for one, like, can my, like, what am I even going to feel? Not so much like, I wonder if I can get to the finish line. It was just like, what's going to happen? Yeah. Like what happens in that distance? What, what, what am I going to go through? Like mentally, what is that breakdown going to feel like? Um, I wanted to learn everything I possibly could, but then that childlike curiosity of like, it is so freaking amazing what humans can do. And I feel like we're kind of in this state, um, socially just across the world where we're, we we're, we've been over the years, like so far removed of this, like strength and resilience that we started out with. I mean, people are like, that's crazy. I'm like, are you kidding? Study what people were doing 200 years ago. <laughs> like you see the structures they built with their well, bare hands. Like, you have to artificially introduce these like super traumatic and hardcore, you know, achievement oriented things because we don't do manual labor anymore. We, we don't. And it's like amazing. Like women were like plowing fields, stopping for an hour to have a baby. And like, like that was it. There was no hospital and ambulance to take them out to give birth. Like humans are so freaking strong. Like our ability to endure is literally a part of all of us. Like we're built to be strong and to endure for a very long time through many, many hardships. So when I look at the races, you know, and I say this so much in messaging 
is like these, these are structured opportunities to see what we're capable of doing. So when I have low points and I struggle in them, I'm never like, oh, woe's me. It's like, dude, I, I signed up for this, you know, like I know what unstructured pain feels like, but like, this is like, there's volunteers and pacers and crew that are like, all right, we're going to help you get through this. Like show us what's possible. And so, um, I think when you go into it with that mindset of like, it's not this scary big monster that's going to kill you. It's like you have this opportunity to adventure and see what the human body is, is possible of doing. But, you know, I like to remind people whenever they follow my adventures that like, this is not signature to me. There's not anything spectacular about what I'm doing. Like this is what humans were built to do. We're built to endure. Yeah. So cool. So going back to the theme of choosing strong, I know you posted a few times and have talked about how you like intentionally got stronger for this race. You like intentionally put on weight and spent more time in the gym. And I thought this would be an interesting thing to talk about because it's sort of the opposite of what a lot of endurance athletes think they should do leading into a big event. And I know you've, you've always advocated for the strength work. So maybe talk a little bit about that, you know, intentionality with which you, you know, tried to get stronger and and what it looked like practically. Yeah. So when I, I decided like in November that I was going to do these, these two hundreds and thanks to, to Jamil, good friend, Jamil, he reached out to me like October and November is like, let's do Coca Dona. And I was like, I don't know, dude. But then he get, he, he put that registration out there for me. And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm going to take you up on it. Let's go for it. So then I started to craft this, this plan. And I had to put on a coaching hat for it because you know, my personality is like, I'm all in or I'm not. And so I was like, let's just do all of the 200s. So the grand slam of ultras is four 200s. It's Cocodona in May. And then it was supposed to be Tahoe 200 in June, Bigfoot in August, and then Moab um, 240 in October. So you have five months and it's, it comes out to about a thousand miles of racing. So, um, it's insane. And so as a coach, you, you look at, you, you want to work backwards, right? You want to work backwards. It's like, what are all the tools that I'm going to need? Not so much to get through like one race, but like, what is my body going to be like when I stand at the start line of Moab? Like by the time I get there, like I'm going to be like a shadow of who I am if I don't train right for this. And so the thing that I know to be true is there is a point, like the more endurance running longer events, like, yeah, it's, it's harder to put on muscle. Like you're not going to be big and and bulky doing a thousand miles of racing. Right. I naturally put on um, muscle. I love to lift. Yeah. I've been an advocate for that since the time I was a teen. Um, and, and I love just to kind of stand in that space and encourage other people to, because I've been injury free my whole career. So oh. I've never had to drop out of a race because of an injury or, I've, you know, and even right down to, I get asked this all the time. Like I've, I've never not had a period, you know, so I eat big, oh. I train hard and I, you know, and I, and I lift, but one thing that I have started to understand is that your body's so smart and it starts to adapt to the way that you treat it. And so if it can't trust you, then yeah, you're going to get sick or you're going to get injured because that's the only way it can make you sit down and take care of itself. Isn't that so true? It is so true. Yeah. It's 
fascinating. You know, I talk about this and this may be a little bit of a tangent, but when I broke my ankle in 2019, I was going through like a really low personal moment in my life. And I'm convinced that my body was like, okay, we are breaking this dude's ankle so that he can sit down and freaking find peace internally for once, you know? And I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's like probably uh, maybe a little bit out there for, for most people, but to me, it was like, okay, this is my signal now that I need to freaking address what I've been hiding from for a long time. But it, it, you know, I feel like as in, the vein of what you're talking about there. Yeah, 100%. I love that you shared that because I've had a couple times in my life where physically, like what I was going through mentally, emotionally, it came out physically in me. And yeah. I I I've heard that before, never believed it. I was like whatever, but the your body it it understands stress. So true. Yeah. The stress of a long run or the stress you're dealing with at work or in your relationship, it's like it, it comes out, you know? And so I think with, um, going into this race and just really throughout my career is like, I've wanted to build a body that trust me, that will endure. And when I ask a lot of it, it better give me everything. Don't hold anything back and I'll take care of you. We're going to make you strong and eat all the food. But when I'm in the race, regardless of what's going on, I will use up every bit of who I am to get to that finish line. And so, um, I put on, um, muscle weight. I was, I was pretty heavy going into Cocodona. I, I wanted to be because the way I understand it, and you could, you could say, you know, right down to science is I will lose weight doing Cocodona. And I did, I, I, you know, you're dehydrated and you have those few days where your weight is just down anyway but I was never able to put the full weight back on before even getting to Tahoe, even though I tried. Really? Wow. So, yeah. And I lost, like, I think we did, I did some medical DEXA scans with a doctor and I lost like one and a half percent muscle, um, from between Cocodona and Tahoe. I trained differently for the two. So that was another factor that went in too, is like, I wanted, I, my hope was to win Tahoe. <laughs> I did not win Tahoe. Um, so I did a lot more speed training. I did a lot more um, hard road runs, tempo runs, and really hard days in the mountains. So I did lean out a little bit more on top of it all. But, um, you know, by the time I finished Tahoe, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm literally 12 pounds lighter than when I started Cocodona. That's a lot of weight for me yeah. um, because, you know, I already don't have like a ton of, of body fat. In fact, the first time I went in um, for my DEXA scan, the doctor said to me, she's like, you literally, like you could maybe lose like half percent, 1% um, more body fat, like in this area. I think it was like around my stomach or something like that, especially for women, you, we carry it differently. We need a little bit more body fat than men do. And I thought that was really fascinating um, because, you know, when I share, like I, I went into Cocodon 148, I think it was almost, almost 150 pounds and I'm five foot six. Um, and I have more of like a medium build. I'm not a, a petite build, but like, I love sharing that with people because, you know, I, I want to use that as a way to help people understand, like I'm obsessed with what my body can do. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm going to find that weight where I'm at my strongest. And so it's all about what I, what I'm setting out to do, what that goal is. This has nothing to do with the size on my jeans or how much I weigh, you know, this, that, that number on the scale or, you know, whatever that evasive body mass index chart says, um, I, I want to know that my body feels strong. It's going to trust me and it's going to do what I want it to do. And so, um, when I finished Tahoe, I was really wrecked at Tahoe and I knew a big part of it was cause I, I don't even think I even had an equivalent of 4,000 calories at Tahoe. It was right. almost impossible to get down calories, but I finished that. And I remember looking in the mirror and being like, Oh my gosh, like this is, I've lost, I've lost more weight than I wanted to. I don't feel as strong as I, as I usually do. And then of course I was sick. So, um, but all of that has been wonderful feedback for me too. Cause I set out on these 200s. I wanted to learn as much as I can. I want to relay as much as I can. Cause I think as a whole, the community is still learning. Like, how do we train for these? Like, yeah. aren't, how, that's, how, why I'm, that's why I'm really fascinated about this. It's yeah. like, it is, you know, maybe counterintuitive for some people, although it makes perfect sense. And anyway, I appreciate you sort of sharing that and sharing the rationale behind it. You and you and your husband, Eddie did a super long form podcast on both Cocodona and Tahoe. So I would definitely encourage our listeners to go subscribe to the show if you haven't already, but listen to both of them. They're, they're really great and go into a lot of detail. And so I want to just kind of do stuff that's maybe a little bit different and I guess, long story short, <laughs> Cocodona, like you dealt with some issues, your feet were completely macerated, but you made it to the finish. And so I kind of wanted to fast forward to that moment because it was shared on social media almost in real time, like right after you finished and you could feel the Sally McRae joy and energy as you cross the line. You're wearing that incredibly cool looking Nike, all green, you know, rain suit. So maybe just bring us into that moment of finishing the Cocodona 250. It didn't go perfectly, but you know, you did overcome again, which is the story of your life. Can we just take a a moment to pause as as a fellow pro runner? Like I was literally wearing like like my warm up tracksuit, Dylan. Like so awesome. Think of your 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 pro kit right now. And the jacket and the pants that they give you, like I wore that like half the race. <laughs> so for so for those who are uninitiated, go back and look at Sally's Instagram account for, from her finish at Cocodona. The just the beautiful green color that they use is it's a really nice outfit. I don't know. <laughs> you looked like you were potentially heading into a winter snowstorm, but you, it also looked very appropriate and very cool. The green machine. The green machine is what it's been coined. I mean, it was, it's crazy. Cause it was like actually super lightweight. And like, I was moving so slowly and was in like such a world of pain. The wind was next level. And so it, it literally became like my shell along with that, that hat. Like I just like turned into myself and was like, I need to work through this as best I can. And all the elements around me are not helping. So I, that's why I wore it. I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to stay in my mind right here and literally turn into a Ninja Turtle. So, <laughs> so talk about, talk about the feeling though, because like you had been dealing with so many issues during the race that I'm sure were highly disappointing and inconvenient to deal with in real time. But 
you know, making it to the finish line, navigating those low points and overcoming. What was that like? Yeah. I I think when, um, you know, I was descending like that last, like four miles, like into town, um, I, I went in those races, you go through, you think of a hundred, you, you, go into a dark place, you come back, you have a, a couple of times, you kind of come back and forth in a race, but you do that so much in, in two hundreds. And so it was, it was a mental battle the entire time. But when I saw those lights and when I, 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 it was like, I finally believed that I was getting to the finish line. I mean, it feels so far away. I mean, just saying the number it does, but like when you are in a place of as the worst physical pain I've ever had in a race and you know, I, I, I did question it a couple of times. I remember just asking that question, like, how am I going to do this? Like, how is this possible to keep moving in this? And it was like, the only way like I knew how was like, I just had to accept it, to feel it. And then just say, okay, like what's the best you can move. And, um, if you look at a lot of the videos, like I'm leaning to my left a lot because the ulcer, I had like 10 wounds on my feet, but I had a hole, like a ulcer in the back of my right foot that was just grinding. And so I would lean as I'd run to like the left to try and take pressure off it any way that I could. So it was, I had this awkward run. So as I'm descending into town and now the camera crew has found me and I I realize I'm on, I'm on the live feed and Eddie had told me over and over, he's like, Sally, he's like, there's a lot of people that have been following you and they're all sending yellow hearts. And, um, a couple of times throughout the race, he told me that, like, I'd like well up with tears. Cause I was like, really? Like, this is so boring to follow for like days on end. <laughs> like, following the tracker this long, but it was like, it really made me appreciate so much. Like the uniqueness of our sport, like our sport is freaking amazing. Like our community is amazing. And he would like, try to read me like some of the comments and like, try and like, tell me, Oh yeah. Cause he was like posting on my Instagram too. And so I think when the live feed found me like in town, I'm now like 800 meters from that finish line. It was like a whole like tornado of emotions like came over me. And it was like, there's all these people that have been tracking with you and have been cheering with you. And then there's this group of people that's running alongside you right now. And I, had spent so long battling whether or not I could get to that finish line. When, um, when they pointed and said around that corner is the finish, it was like an outer body experience. When I saw that finish line, I wasn't expecting to do that. That was like the most genuine raw reaction to me telling myself, I, I did what I didn't believe I could do. Like I, this is like my reaction to overcoming horrific pain, overcoming so much along this course. And it just like blew up. I mean, it just blew up inside me. I saw that and I just started sprinting. No, it did not feel good. The jump was so horribly painful, but like that was just from like the depth of my heart. Like I I was triumphant and overcoming that. It was goosebumps material for all of your fans out there, <laughs> myself included. It's so funny too. I remember you posted something about like getting back to training like a few days later and just struck me as absolute, absolute like psychopath behavior as somebody who's been on like a three week bender since hard rock at this point who barely runs. <laughs> anyway, 
Uh, again, for our, our listeners, make sure you go listen to the full long form podcast between Sally and Eddie. About, the film on that too. I was going to say too. Yeah, the film is also very cool, which you can find on Sally's YouTube page. I'll make sure to link to both of those here in the show notes of our podcast. So I want to talk about Tahoe, but before we get to that, you and I saw each other at the Strava event in Southern California in May. It must have only been a week or two after. It was Jonah. disgusting and wrapped up in bandages. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm like, so what's next? And you're like, yeah, I'm going to do the triple crown. I was just like, oh my God, Sally. You Bye, are- Sally. So, so <laughs> tough. But the thing I wanted to, to ask you about first, before we get to the other stuff you have coming up and talk about Tahoe is Billy and Hillary's wedding because he or they asked you to officiate the wedding, which is such an honor, you know, and I think speaks to, speaks to, you know, your character and the way people feel about you. So maybe just say a few words about officiating Billy, Billy and Hillary Yang's wedding. Yes. Okay. First of all, and I think a lot of people know this, but Billy is like a brother to me. I mean, he's he's a brother from another mother. And we we get along fiercely and we also like can fight like cats and dogs. We fight just like brother and sister too. But um, but also that's why I I love his friendship so much because you know, Billy has been one of those consistent friends in my life who has always challenged me. Um, and that's probably what we fight sometimes because he'll challenge me when, when I know I'm wrong. And, um, and the way he challenges, challenges me is always just in, in my goals and what I believe in myself. And, um, you know, Billy is, has been there in some really rough times in my life too. And has just been like a true friend to me to encourage me to, to keep going. And, um, I mean, it was 10 years ago, longer than that. I mean, it was almost 15 years ago. I remember we did the SoCal Triple Crown. You hit all tall peaks in, in Southern California. And we were going up Mount Baldy like at one o'clock in the morning. And he's like, I really think you should start a podcast. You'd, you'd be so awesome doing a podcast. And I was like, no, no, like no one's going to listen to it. Like I have nothing to say. I don't know how to do that. But um, but he pushed for years trying to get me to do a podcast. And that was just one of many things that he was always trying to encourage me in. And he, he supported me in other ways. You know, we did, we had a lot of film projects together, but, um, throughout my career, it started to become that like, I would get invited to races and then the race directors are like, is Billy coming too? And I'm like, unbelievable, dude. Like everyone just thinks Billy and salary grew on all the races together, but we had the best time and we've, um, really grown as, as friends over the years. So when, when he and Hillary got engaged and and he asked me to do his wedding, I mean, that was just like the greatest honor ever. Like, I couldn't believe it. I was like, are you sure? Like, but, um, you know, that will go down as one of the most special, you know, moments of my life. And, and Hillary, I don't think he could have chosen a more perfect person. And I call her my sister. I'm like, you're like, you married to Billy, like you're my sister. And I just, I love her to death. And, um, she's made him even better, uh, than he already is. And, um, so yeah, they're, they're pretty dynamic, powerful duo, but doing that wedding, I have to, to let you in on a little secret. My feet were not healed, but I knew that Billy was in and Hillary had invited mainly runners to that. And, um, just coming off Coca-Dona, I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't like go stand in front of all those people officiate and have my feet wrapped in bandages. Like one, that's going to be bringing on very unnecessary attention. I don't want people talking about my feet like that. I don't want people staring at them. So, um, right before the wedding, 
I bought a whole box of like these hydro seals and they're like the color of, of your skin. So I wrap my feet in hydro seals and I, I put on these high heel sandals and a dress and I was just counting the minutes, dude. Like no one had any idea. I was like, oh, you look so nice. And oh, like your feet are healed. I'm like, mm-hmm. Like, but as soon as that ceremony was over, dude, I was back in socks, like the thickest socks ever. And um, and thankfully it was like no discussion of my feet. I mean, it was 100 percent Billy and Hillary's day, but um, but we we laugh about that. I'm like, you realize what I went through with my feet to yeah. officiate. You're lucky I wasn't wearing crocs up there on the altar with you guys. <laughs> The best gear isn't born in a factory. It is inspired by real people challenging themselves to explore new parts of the world. That's why I love Rourke. Their team pulls design inspiration straight from the cultures and climates of new destinations to create durable and comfortable styles that can take you straight from the trail to the coffee shop or the bar. Trail culture, if you know what I mean. For over 10 years, Rourke has explored the globe to seek adventure on the road less traveled. Grounded in the joy of travel, each Rourke collection is inspired by a specific location around the world, and each includes a give back because Rourke believes in leaving a positive impact on the places that host their adventures. Rourke's latest collection is inspired by a trip to Hokkaido, Japan, featuring Japanese prints and patterns, and free trail fans will especially love the Rourke Run Amuck line. It's functional running gear that goes against traditional activewear styling, so you never have to choose between performance and personality. I've been rocking Rourke's Mathis Core t-shirt recently. The cut reminds me of my favorite cotton t-shirts, but with dry release jersey knit material, it dries so much faster. So again, I can wear it while I'm out ripping on the trails or when I'm podcasting in my garage. Go check out the whole Run Amok apparel collection. And for a limited time, as one of my listeners, you can get a 15% discount off your first order. Go to Rourke.com, use code FREETRAIL15 at checkout. Don't wait. That's R-O-A-R-K.com and use code FREETRAIL15. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and their branch chain amino acid drink mix, the product I use more than any other in my day-to-day life. The BCAA drink mix is part of my morning routine every day before I get out the door for training. I smash a serving of this delicious and essential amino acid combination. Gnarly BCAAs provide a vegan trifecta of leucine, isoleucine, and valine, which research suggests work together to increase protein synthesis and muscle growth to keep you strong and healthy on the trails. Research also shows that if consumed in the 20 to 30 minutes before exercise and even during longer training sessions, BCAAs and leucine in particular can help minimize muscle protein breakdown, thus reducing post-exercise soreness and speeding recovery between training sessions. I swear I can feel the difference in my strength, recovery, and general energy levels when I have my BCAAs and when I don't. And in all the conversation about carbohydrates and protein and calories per hour, I feel like BCAAs often get lost in the mix, even though they are by definition, essential. Don't skimp on the essentials. Pick up a can of the gnarly BCAAs at gonarly.com and use code FREETRAIL15. Gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. 
from a sentimental thing to another traumatic, very <laughs> difficult uh, endeavor that was also highlighted by overcoming. Let's talk about Tahoe 200. Yeah. So I guess first, just talk about the postponement of the race and how it impacted your recovery from Cocodona preparation and, and also like the macro picture of this terrifying race schedule you've constructed. Yeah. Well, originally, Tahoe 200 and Cocodona were going to be like six, seven weeks apart, which, and it, again, coaching standpoint, very close together. Like that's close together for hundreds. It's close together for 50 Ks. Like you, you need to adjust goals if you have races that, that close together. And so I knew already, all right, that one is, I'm not going to be completely healed, but you know, it's, it's, it's still good enough, enough time that I'll at least be like rested, like fully rested. Um, it got changed because of snow, snowpack, because of fires. Um, they decided to move it to the end of July, which put it 16 days before Bigfoot. And I thought that is not ideal in any situation. I don't care if you're Superman, <laughs> like that is insane. And, you know, when I set out to do something, I, I want to do it. I want to complete it. And so, um, I, I had to choose. I'm either going to race Tahoe hard or I'm going to race Bigfoot hard. I know that Bigfoot is the toughest of all the races. It's a lot of climbing. It's very rugged. You're in back country. There's like no cell service where we are. And so I decided, well, Bigfoot is more fast packing then. Um, but I do know Tahoe trails and I do know there's long sections that you can like literally hammer and some really fun descents. Like the grade of the descents are so freaking fun and I love descending. So I thought, well, Tao plays to um, my strengths in, in running. And I think that would be really fun to experiment with, you know, how, how well, how, I don't even like to use word fast in two hundreds, like no one's really running fast, like, but it's like how efficiently and strong can someone move um, in these 200s. And I think Tahoe is a really great um, place to do that. Okay. Of course, the year that I do it though, like, and I, I always laugh about this. It's happened so much in courses where I'm like, I'm going to run fast there. Like I remember Tarawa 100, the year that I won it, it was like, we literally ran it like in a hurricane. I'm like, <laughs> There was mud up to my shin. Remember, I did the I did the hundred k that year. Yeah. <laughs> you won that. Yeah, we both won. Yeah. Yeah. Freaking amazing! But like that course at the time, and that course has never been run again. Like they never did that. They changed the course since. But like, I remember being so upset because I wanted to run a really fast hundred there. Like that's a great place to run a fast hundred. Yeah. And then it was like mud up to my shins for 30 miles and like blistering winds and rain. I mean, anyway, so I was just giggling. Cause I'm like, this happened a lot, like in my racing where it's like the year I sign up, it's like the most horrific weather ever. And so they decided to reroute the course. So the original Tahoe 200 course is you go around the whole lake and what they decided to do with us is take us on a 100 K out and back. And so we climbed super high all the way up to 9,600 feet to this housewife Hill. You go out like 31 miles fully exposed. And because it's the end of the July, it was like 85, 90 degrees. Yeah. And they only had two aid stations on the out. And then you hit those same ones on the way back. So I was like, of course we get the 
toughest course that this uh, race has ever seen. But then it wasn't until the very end of the race that I also realized that the course was almost 220 miles. And so it was longer, hotter, and a lot harder than it's ever been. So um, very, I- Sally the, McCray, uh, you know? Like, like what? Like, <laughs> that's the way it's supposed to be. <laughs> Sally's here. Let's do all the things to make it harder. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I mean- Again, you did a super long form podcast about this too. Yes, I want to yeah. encourage people to to get the the full deep dive story. But one of the things that I'd love to have you talk about is like this episode at the end when you've decided to do kind of the final stretch without a pacer and you sort of like black out and have hallucinations. Can you just kind of tell us what happened in that moment? Yeah, this is this is that part where we go back and say, I take responsibility for my actions. <laughs> you say to our listeners, um, all the race guides, they talk about hallucinations and delusionment. Like that is a very, very real thing that you you have to take seriously. And I'd say for anyone wanting to do a 200, even if you don't have pacers crew, if you don't know anyone, you can absolutely find a pacer. Like there's people that want to pace these things. So use them. Um, and I learned my lesson, but there the the Number one reason why I did not take Billy with me in that last section was because I was in such an intense physical state of discomfort. I needed to go on by myself. And it was nothing that, that Billy's an incredible pacer. I mean, he's been pacing, crewing. We've been doing that for each other for years and such an amazing friend. And he really helped bring me back to life in the, in the 60 miles that he paced me in that race. But, um, I was like on a tear when I had picked him up. Um, let's see, I had picked him up before and I think it came out like in a reel. I don't know how much my film guys, I'll share this with you, but like, I don't know how much my film guys are going to share this, but like when I came into the aid station, I was over an hour early and Billy had showed up and I looked at him and I was like, you better be ready to go hard because I am freaking catching F3 right now. And he just looks at me like, dude, calm down. Like, that's why I'm here. And like all like my crew and the film guys are just staring at me. And I was like, and I just started my period. So I'm super pissed. Like I'm so angry, but I'm moving fast and I'm redlining. I don't even care. And he's just like, everyone's like, okay, Sally, like, this is also why I don't usually have women on my crew. Cause I can get like so fired up and I just start yelling at people. I'm like, I will offend everybody. So like Billy's just like, and thank God that he is like, a brother. He's seen me in every single state and he just settles into like so much kindness and encouragement, like straight from the gate. Like he was amazing. So he really like recentered me as we went charging up the mountain. It was like a four or five mile climb, but I was like hunting so hard and I was redlining so hard for that 19 mile stretch with Billy. And he kept on saying, he's like, dude, Sally, like I like, you can not like, be careful about redlining. You still have a lot of race. And I would just be like, don't tell me how to race. I know how to race. Like <laughs> it was so sad, like what Billy had to put up with. And so as we got to Spooner, like a big part of that. And I talked about this earlier, like when you are in a lot of pain, it's easy to be irritated and to be angry and you just want everything to stop. And like, so I realized as we came into Spooner, he's like, do you want me to continue with you? And I was just like, no, I, I have to do this by myself. Like I am in so much pain and I'm like breathing uncontrollably. I'm yeah. my body's on fire. I'd been fried before, but like 
leaving him was a really bad decision because I went up the climb for three miles and then I blacked out. Thank God I did not fall on the trail, but I would kind of come out and like come to. And what I realized is that my, my film guys, um, Drew and Tyler, I knew they had been following me around in the race and they typically don't talk to me. They kind of just pop out different places. They'll film and then they leave. And so I thought that I kept seeing them. And so like tree trunks and and rocks and I would call out to them, but, but part of my brain knew that I was hallucinating and I was, I was dilute. I was like kind of delusional. And so then I'd be like, Sally, like, you know, like that's, that's a rock. That's a rock. That's not a rock. But then I would come up to even people like hikers on the trail. I remember this one woman, I was kind of in and out and I go, are you real? And she like grabbed me and she's like, yeah, are you okay? Oh yeah. 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 I'm in a race. I'm in a race. And then, um, as I I continued on like that all the way to the finish line. Like I was kind of checking in with people and asking them if they're real. At one point, Drew and Tyler did appear and I had to, was staring at them and kind of figuring out if they were real people or not. Um, but you are required to have the topo map on your phone and think, thank goodness I had that because it, I just held it in my hand and stared at it the whole time. Like that was like my lifeline to wow. keep going, but it was a full blown battle of body and mind. Like I was like, I'm going to get to this finish line. And I was trying to catch F2. I really thought that I was going to, but I look back on the tracker. I mean, I think there was a couple hours. I only went one mile in an hour. So I was wandering. Um, maybe Probably like don't have clear memories of that. I, I don't, I only have memories of, of certain parts. The last five miles, I knew once it got really bad, I was like, I need to eat something. I was having a really hard time eating something. I was like, I was so devoid of, uh, of so void of calories. I knew that that was part of the problem. So sleep deprived, no calories, totally fried. And so I started like eating. So the last couple of miles were a little bit better. Um, but yeah, that crossing that finish line, I, I had a little bit of emotional breakdown because there was a little bit of fear wrapped in there. And then it was just like, I can't, I can't believe I finally got to the finish line. Like that was like, it was more like shock and like a relief, you know? And I just, yeah, I, I think I fell to the ground and just, you know, cried for a minute. Like, okay, now that one's done. What's the next one going to be like? Before we get to the next one, I just have to say, I'm so embarrassed right now because <laughs> I've been complaining about my 30 hours on the hard rock course for a month now, almost. And you've yeah. Coca-Dona and Tahoe, both of which required massive physical, emotional perseverance. And I'm still, you know, licking my wounds from only a 30 hour. We can't compare because we can't do yeah, that. Before, right? Like Anyway, for, for the listeners too, they have to know that, but like, I am, I am giggling because you and I, uh, being in this sport for so long, we've had like our fair share of like, dude, that race was freaking awesome. I'm at the top of the podium. Heck yeah. My training paid off. And then also like, what was that? Like, what? who was I? Like, like why? why? Like, why? Like, why? <laughs> what happened to me? Um, okay, so, you know, sort of winding things down now. Um, well, let's look ahead. Of course, <laughs> Thursday, you have to fly to the Pacific Northwest to do another 200-mile race <laughs> after only finishing less than two weeks ago now, I guess, at uh, Tahoe 200. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, where's your body and mind at looking ahead towards Bigfoot? Yeah. You know, I, I had some good conversations with people. Cause I, I will say at the, at when I finished Tahoe, I turned to Eddie and I said, I'm, I don't think I'm going to do Bigfoot. And he's like, yeah, it's probably wise. Like you're totally sick. So because I started sick, obviously your immune system is like, you're shattering your immune system as once you pass three hours, like you do a three hour workout, your immune system drops for 72 hours. That's just the way it is. So like, okay, now translate that to 200 miles. So, um, you know, I had bronchitis, sinusitis, I had to be put on meds right away. And Hey, I take full responsibility and I gambled that. Like I knew that in the middle of the race, it's partly why I was so pissed. Cause I was like, I'm making myself sicker and I'm getting sicker. And I know, um, for people listening, like, yeah, you have to kind of pick and choose your battles. You have to pick and choose what is worth it. And I had to pick and choose when I could push because I was like, well, I don't want to like end up in the hospital. So I had to pick and choose the times that I even pushed in that race. And so it had to be the end. That right. was it. So right. I think for me, I was like, if I can push in the end, then um, what, however I'm feeling at the end, like I'll probably go on meds, but I'm not going to be on and, you know, in the hospital, we know our bodies very well. And so I had pull off the gas so much in Tahoe when my pride was getting the best of me. And I knew that I, I, oh, I, but I can push right here. I was like, but you can't you get, you get one shot to push. And, and that's why I was just like raging tiger at, at the end. Cause like, that's my one shot I get to push and get on the podium. So because of that, when I finish, I told Eddie, I was like, well, I'm totally sick. and. I'm not going to train in, in between, but like, I just need to get well. Like I need to take care of myself because I want my body to trust me. Like I want my body to remember, like you take care of me. And, and I think that's always what I want to convey to people too. And, you know, I, we went away as a family for a few days and I was sitting by the pool and I was just thinking about how both after Tahoe and Cocodona, oddly, I've never had like, I've had zero muscle soreness. Like my body, has, like I have felt amazing. There's nothing outside of my system that is pretty like tired or, or messed up. And so um, I had a conversation with Eddie and I was like, well, what if I, what if I hiked it? Like, would you be okay if I just like hiked it? I won't race. Like I'm going to make use of the sleep aid stations. I'm going to eat whole meals. Cause like, it is difficult for me when I set out for a goal to not, you know, to finish it. I go, but at the end of the day also, like it isn't the end of the world and it is fine if I don't do Bigfoot. And he's like, well, you know, you can try, like you have everything lined up. You have pacers, you have a crew. Cause he's not going to that one. You have a pacer, you have a crew, you have everything lined up. Like, you know, obviously trying, we can, we can try for it. And so that's really where my mindset is. I can't, I'm not going in to race it and I'm not going in to like try and prove anything, but I was most excited about Bigfoot 200 because it's the most beautiful course. I've always wanted to be on those trails and like, it's a really spectacular area, like really underrated place. I haven't been there. It's amazing, Sally. Very few people go. Very few people go. It's so awesome. Did you have an adventure there? Did you do like an FKT around there? Yeah. No, I mean, it's in the Mount St. Helens area. And yeah, yeah like there's a race there called Backcountry Rise that's put on by Daybreak Racing, who we partner on on Gorge and, and okay. some other events that are about to be announced. But um, yeah, so I've done a bunch of running up in that area and on the course that Daybreak does the 
running on it. I think it shares at least some of the Bigfoot course, but it's okay. an un- unbelievable area just in terms yeah. of beauty. But it is out there, you know, it's it back. Is. Yeah. No reception. And my, I mean, I'm a, my heart is in the mountains. You know, if I could, I'd live on the side of a mountain somewhere. But I think I have just had, you know, I've got to put the pride away and, and accept the fact like my body feels great. Like mus- muscle wise, strength wise, I feel very strong. Um, I just got back from doing Cam Haynes lift run shoot. And I was like, so bummed when that was like our date. Cause I'm like, dude, I'm like a fragment of who I am. Be so weak lifting. Like our mountain run isn't going to be super strong, but our podcast is going to be great. But oh, I, can't wait. I just like kind of laugh, like looking at all the stuff that's been going on between these, these two races. And so I'm going to go in with it, with a, with a, with a humble heart knowing like, Hey, if, if we can get to the finish line, awesome. I'm going to try my best just to fast pack it. But if not, like, it's okay. You know, I, we, we did, a we, we pushed a lot in Tahoe and, um, I don't consider myself a superhuman and, you know, I want to be wise and I really wanted to race Moab. So Moab is in the middle of October. So it's like, if I'm wise this next month, I have to take good care of myself. I'll be able to recover, maybe have, you know, somewhat of a good build and then we'll have a good strong race at Moab. So that that's, that's, that always helps me with perspective. If you have to change a goal or readjust, like think of the big picture. So the big picture is to finish strong and to do well at Moab and to be done with the series. And as soon as Moab's over, like I go straight into my off season, I'm taking a 14 week off season. So I think that, you know, that that's the goal. I want to stay strong. I want to do my best, but you know, there's always that side of me that's like, Oh, you can at least try. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just, I'm going to go try. <laughs> How many people do you know? Like, are there multiple people that finish Tahoe that are going to Bigfoot too? I'm sure there are, right? This you know, is- I, I, I can't, I can't find the list. I saw the, the list is already up for 2024 mm-hmm. and there's like, I want to say there's like 60 people in, in the, that are doing the triple crown, Wow! um, for next year for 2024. So you'll have some other. There'll be other people that I talk to people. Yeah. (laughs) I talk, I was with some guys actually at one point, there was two guys that were like, well, I guess Bigfoot were just walking that one. And I turned around, I was like, Oh dude, you guys are doing that too. Okay. That like, that like makes me feel a little bit better, but like, yeah. How are you guys approaching this? Cause it is, it, it's not ideal and I'll be on it. It's like such a bummer. Like I really hoped that, that this race would have been pushed because of that. But then I was like, well, the majority of the entrants aren't doing all of them. The majority are, this is their one race. And it is very disruptive to move a 200 because of how expensive the registration is, the yeah. flights, the travel, everything. So, um, do the best you can go exactly. have Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, like I I've already had peace in my heart knowing like I need to take care of my body. And, um, you know, that's, that's why I've been able to stay in the sport for so long is because I I do a good job taking care of my body. So, um, you know, historically, if I was like injured all the time and just like, just trashed constantly, like, yeah, there, you know, there's a problem that needs to be addressed there. But, um, you know, I, I know how to take care of myself and listen to myself. I know how to how to recover and and when to call it. I mean, I've, I've had my fair share of DNFs. Like I'm not afraid to have to step off a course. Like that's, that's not a problem with me. So we'll see. Well, 
I just am again so impressed and also slightly embarrassed about my own um I don't know, just a lack of strength. Okay, but for the anyway. listeners, Dylan, I and I know you don't share in in full transparency all that you do and what it takes to oh, do. Yeah. You yeah. went into hard rock juggling yeah, yeah. So many yeah. things. And the toll that that takes on you mentally, it absolutely affects your performance. I mean, you just have to, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that before. Yeah, we, yeah, we did. Before. It's incredible what you're doing. Like it really is. You're amazing. And yeah. I said it. And you too. And this is one thing, maybe we save this. Maybe you should come on after Moab and we'll do a deep, like, okay, what do you now know about racing 200 milers? But one of the things that I really wanted to get around to, um, is like this media thing that you're building now, you know, with the book, the podcast, the YouTube channel, you've, you know, long had this amazing community on Instagram and you're working closely on it. It seems like with Eddie and I, of course, work very closely with my wife too. And it's such a special project, but I don't know. Should we save that for a future podcast or yeah, that would be amazing to talk about. We can definitely touch on that because having, I, I think for me, it, having someone you can trust 100% yeah. is, is definitely key in growing something, right? Like I'm sure Harmony, you can just like vent the frustrations. You can like dream big and share through your crazy ideas and work through like, how the heck are we going to make this work? Like she's probably the most incredible sounding board. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's wind down. I got to ask you my closing questions here. So, um, are you sure? Are you sure? Yes. You want, we're gonna, how long is this? We're going to go for another, oh, you, you can, you can, make this, uh, you know, sort of a quick fire thing, but I'm sure people would love to hear your contributions here. So Sally McRae, thanks so much for coming on the pod. This is so much fun. Final couple questions here. The first is who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sport? can be living or dead. And why do you admire that person? Yeah. I mean, I, I do have like a long list actually of people that I really admire, but I think just in the, in the vein of what we've discussed since the early, I mean, I really do admire my mom. Yeah. 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 And for the deeper story of that, make sure you pick up, choose strong. Final question for you here, Sally, what is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your experience as a trail runner? I am not short on being a rookie for life. I mean, I, I think I just need to embrace that like rookie for life. Like some of the mistakes I still make, I literally am like, are you joking me, Sally? And then I laugh about it. So I've definitely learned that like, I'm, I, I am, um, prone to make a lot of mistakes, but also I've learned that I know how to, to laugh at myself and, and, and be okay with it. Like, I'm like really not afraid of failing. And, and that excites me because the more that I fail, it just means that I, I, I keep trying. And there was a time in my life, especially early in my life where I was terrified of failing. I wanted to be perfect and I wanted everything to be successful and to succeed and like running, especially ultras. It doesn't matter if you're the best in the world, you're going to make mistakes and and you're going to have some failures and like some really bad races. And I think that's why I love ultras. Like it, the sport keeps us humble, but we keep coming back because we realize we're never short on learning. And if, if I can get to that point where I am just like, well, 
yeah, if I get to that point where I feel like I've learned everything, like that will be a scary place to be. And so I like to stay in the space of, I am not afraid to fail and like, bring it on. I'm going to try. And if I fail, who cares? Like, we're just going to keep trying. So yeah. Key for life. I love it, Sally. And what a perfect (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, that's another shirt. Stand at Ricky for life. Put it on sallymccray.com here uh, as soon as possible and I'll buy one. Sally, you're so awesome, man. What a joy it was to have you back on the show. We wish you nothing but luck here at Bigfoot coming up this weekend and look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you, Dylan. I look forward to seeing you in Chamonix. Thank you for being a real friend and thank you for all you do. You're amazing. And a big thank you to Sally. What an amazing person. So great to get her back on the show. As I mentioned a few times, you should go subscribe and listen to Sally's podcast, including the deep dives on Cocodona and the Tahoe 200. I put a link in the show notes to both of those episodes. So click through, listen, and subscribe. I also linked to the film that was made about Cocodona. It's called Every Step Forward, which is available for free on Sally's YouTube channel. Make sure you go check it out. It really is awesome. Free Trail Pro members, as always, love to hear your feedback. Jump in Slack. Let me know what you thought about Sally and her second appearance on the show. If you're not a Free Trail Pro member, you should be. You get access to the Rest Day podcast. You get access to our incredibly active Slack community, access to our robust catalog of training plans. You can come to our weekly Zoom calls. You get exclusive discounts with our brand partners and on Free Trail merch. Get early access registration to our events and a lot more. Membership is a very reasonable $10 a month or $96 for the year. And there is a free trial. Like I said in the intro, registration is open for the Big Alta, our new race in Marinwood, California, February 24th and 25th of 2024. 50K on Saturday, 28K on Sunday, probably a huge after party for free trail members there on Sunday afternoon. You won't want to miss it. Super convenient. You just fly into SFO, drive a little ways north. There's tons of accommodations and some amazing trails to come enjoy with us next spring. Find the link to the Ultra Sign Up page here in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Finally, a big massive thank you to our sponsor speedland runspeedland.com use code free trail 10 for 10 percent off your purchase gnarly nutrition go gnarly.com use code free trail 15 for 15 percent off those great nutrition products and hvmn get 30 percent off your first subscription of ketone iq by visiting hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30 last but not least rourke apparel rourke.com use code free trail 15 for 15 percent off those great pieces of running apparel. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys all enjoyed the episode. We'll talk to you again very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.